Andrew Kirk started out in music as the drummer for his church's band, and before he knew it, he was 18 years old and touring around the U.S. with him. Being barely out of high school and touring the country may sound like he'd made it, but this was only the starting point for him. A few record deals and contracts later, Andrew used YouTube to help relaunch his career as an electronic musician under the name Runaground. That found him a lot of success and even provided him with the opportunity to write and perform a song for the Dalai Lama. Here's Andrew to tell his story on this episode of The Big Break. I grew up, uh, I was born in, in North Carolina in a little town called High Point, North Carolina. And uh, so I did a little bit of growing up there until I was about four or five. I don't remember a whole lot of it, uh, you know, to, to be honest with you. But um, I do know that that's kind of like where I came from. And it sort of does still have this um, feeling of home. I don't know why. Maybe it just it just, it, it just kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, but I don't have a lot of memories from, from that time in my life, really. But um you know, shortly at like four or five years old, we moved to uh, Middle Tennessee, my family. And then I went to, you know, to elementary school and, and high school and stuff in, in a little town called Maryville, Tennessee. Naturally, I grew up not far from one of the music hubs in America, you know, Nashville. So I think from an early age on, like I, I kind of, I don't know if there was a little bit of a, um, a rubbing off of, of Nashville all the way east to Maryville in the Knoxville area over there or what, but I kind of had an affinity for music as a young kid. Actually, you know what, going back, I did, I, I think I did have my first um, sort of like falling in love with music in North Carolina. There was a, um, a drummer that we used to go to this little tiny church um, and kind of in the middle of nowhere. And this drummer uh, was a friend of our family and he would sit me up on his lap when I was just a little kid and I'd watch him play, he'd play the drums with me on his lap. And so I think, I think he was just kind of like, I was like his little buddy, but really I was getting quite interested in, in, in what he was doing on the drum kit. And so I, he gave me this little sparkle snare drum. Um, and I ended up taking that with me to Tennessee, um, when we moved and I can remember kind of sitting, I don't remember playing with it in North Carolina. Um, but I do remember, playing with it in Tennessee in like the first home that I remember living in there in Maryville. And I would take that thing out onto the porch and just kind of like tinker around with that. And drums didn't end up becoming um, like, I think the musical instrument that really kind of sank in for me and got me wanting to be in music, you know, for, for a living or, or whatever. But um, you know, so started with the little blue snare drum and then you kind of fast forward to elementary school in Maryville and I picked up the trumpet um, I think my fifth grade year and started, you know, learning, um, the rudiments of music and, uh, learning how to read and things like that and playing trumpet in the, in the middle school band and then in high school as well. Um, but as I got into high school, um, and out of middle school, I started picking up the drum, the drum kit and, and getting pretty serious about that. And so, um, you know, my parents split up when I was, um, gosh, I don't know, I think it was 13 or 14 when, um, that kind of happened. And so, you know, kids like deal with those types of things, different ways. And mm -hmm. I had this drum kit that I'd got for Christmas, like a year before or something. And so the way I kind of, I guess, channeled whatever it was I was going through in my little teenage years was just by playing drums. And so I'd come home every day from middle school and high school and just get behind the drum kit and play like just relentlessly like nonstop. And so, you know, I had the blisters, the bleeding blisters on my hands and just like playing nonstop, you know, yeah. through, through high school. And I got pretty, um, pretty good. And, um, I was going to, you know, you naturally just plug into, um, whatever outlet you have musically, I think. And so for me, you know, growing up in the, in the South, the Bible belt, it was like, there's a lot of churches around and they always, they all have music. And so we had friends that were connected in, in that world. And I think a youth pastor friend of mine had this band and, um, you know, they needed a drummer. And so pretty soon I was playing drums, um, with this band, these guys were in their, you know, late twenties. Um, and I'm here, I am, you know, 15, 16 years old and I'm playing drums with them and started to tour, 
tour around the Southeast with them. They were kind of like the youth pastor guys that had their own band that were sort of trying to make it, but also kind of working in the, the church world or whatever. And so mm-hmm. that got me, I got my feet wet um, on sort of a semi-pro level playing music. It got, you know, I mean, I just, I loved it. I loved being able to kind of run the band from the drums and, you know, learning about click tracks and, you know, learning about click tracks and how to, you know, keep everybody in sync and, um, you know, running electronic elements alongside what we were doing live. So I was learning all kinds of stuff and we were getting to open up for bands like Switchfoot and some bigger bands and things like this. So it was a nice um, introduction, you know, to a, like a semi-professional lane in the music world. And uh, that just kind of bled into more and more um, of me getting, getting my feet wet in music. Pretty soon I picked up a guitar and started singing and, you know, and then by the time I was 18, I think I was working on my first um, kind of like gospel. It was called CCM music, contemporary Christian music, you know. So <laughs> I uh, I did, I think I did my first album at 18 and uh, started, I was touring, you know, the nation, leading these big conferences. And, um, and I just kind of went by my name, Andy Kirk at the time. And uh, so I did a couple albums like that. I got my first publishing deal at, at 18 uh, with a company um, in Nashville called Brentwood Benson. And, um, I think I was like the youngest writer there by a long, a long shot. And so they kind of invested in me a little bit and here I was touring around the country and doing some albums. And, you know, that kind of was like the, where, where it sort of, um, my career birthed from, you know, so I didn't go to like a music school or anything like that. I've got so many different friends in this industry. It's interesting to hear about like where they, you know, kind of like they, you, you sort of grow where you're planted and it, and so that was what it was for me was like, this is an outlet. And, and, um, even though now I have a different worldview, I would say, I, I still, you know, have a great you know, deal of respect for, for, you know, where I came from and, you know, maintain a lot of those relationships, but I, I don't do that style of music anymore, <laughs> you know? So I always feel a need to say that, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where it all, it all started. And it led to about a 10 year run as like a, a CCM artist, you know, a lot of pretty big tours and, getting the booking deals and all this stuff. It was like stage one of my career maybe, or maybe you want to call it stage two. I don't, I don't know, but I kind of had like a, a shadow career there where I, you know, was able to be up in front of thousands of people and kind of hone in my craft live and learning how to, you know, handle live sets and run a band and all the business aspects of it. Um, but just in kind of a niche part of the market. And so that was a fun, a fun, a fun little run. And I really enjoyed it. And then eventually it just led to me wanting to be, you know, a little more creative and get into more pop music and songwriting that I felt was more, um, you know, kind of just what I wanted to be doing, um, as an adult artist, you know? And so naturally that kind of, that, that, that sort of season of my life kind of just cross faded into me, um, starting my artist moniker run aground, which is what I still do now. And, uh, that picked up, you know, on YouTube in about 2012. So before we get into the YouTube stuff, yeah. I didn't realize that you Basically, you're 18. Yeah. And most kids your age maybe get like a summer job as like a lifeguard, but you are, you're writing music and you're performing in front of thousands of people. So like when you were doing that, was that like a conscious decision on your part of this is, this is going to be how I make money or what, did you just kind of fall into that? Like, could you go into more of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, growing up in that environment where I was with, um, the band that I was in and in, in, in this youth group kind of situation, this church, this local church uh, thing that we were doing, I, I, I had gotten exposure to kind of like that whole world of live shows. And, and um, I think I just, it was just a natural progression for me. Once I started singing and playing guitar, I was like, well, we need a singer here. We need a singer here. And, you know, so I started putting, you know, bands together behind me and, and then naturally just like, you know, writing songs that we would sing as well. I think I just always wanted to be an original voice in whatever lane it was that I was in. And so, um, you just kind of learn the, the dynamics and the boundaries of the, you know, the world that you're working in and you, and you start growing in it. And so that's what I did. And I, you know, and I was a big fan of, of so much of that music. Cause that's just what I grew up in. And, and, uh, so naturally I was like, well, I think I, and when you study something unknowingly, I think a lot of times you don't even realize you're doing it. And so it starts to come out of you. Your artistry is, is, uh, you know, kind of like this, this jumbled up mixture of the things that you've consumed, you know what I mean? And hopefully with mm-hmm. your, your flair and your touch on it. But, um, so it was just something that felt sort of natural. And then 
the more and more I did of it, the, the more it started to, to grow and, 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 you know, become a little bit more professional and tight. And, and uh, pretty soon, you know, yeah, we were playing, you know, really large events and traveling all across the nation and, you know, some other countries and things. And so it, it, it was, it was pretty calculated. I was definitely hustling pretty hard at, at, at 18, 19. I was mailing press kits all over the country and in the world that I was trying to get a foothold in, you know, I was doing the things that you had to do to get the right types of shows and gigs to, to sort of break my artist career. And it was, it was working. It definitely was working. And it led to, you know, the record deals and publishing deals and the, the big tours with the, uh, the mainstream artists in that lane, you know, for a long, for a long time. Yeah, I think you're right on with the with so many creative careers. If you make the conscious decision to do it, it's almost less effective than just um, learning as you go and and going that way. Sure, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what did, I mean? What did your parents think when you were out touring the world at or the country at uh, 18 years old? I think they were um, proud of me. I think I think they were you know um, you know honestly when I when I was about around that 14, 15 age was when my mom really left. And, um, you know, my parents just split. My mom was just kind of gone. So she really wasn't in the picture at that, at that point in my life. So I don't know if that was something that sort of drove me to just achieve at a young age or what. And then I think my dad, um, who raised me, Paul, he, uh, he was just sort of, I, I think very supportive, but, um, almost just, um, it just kind of like surprised if you will, or just kind of like, you know, I think he was always just kind of like proud of me, but just didn't really understand how this was happening. And he would probably say the same thing, just sort of like, you know, maybe in awe of just like, where did he come up with this or how is he sort of doing this? But, you know, I, I'm definitely the collection uh, of a thousand like second chances and opportunities, you know, just from, from kind folks, you know, from different parts of the world and parts of my life. So it's just like, I think they were proud, but at the same time, I kind of was on my own at this point, to be really honest with you. So it wasn't really something I was thinking about a lot. Okay. Well, let's, let's get into YouTube. Cause that's yeah. kind of where uh, the second half of your career kicked off. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk through that. Yeah. So, um, you know, coming out of the, um, like the CCM music, the gospel music scene, um, I'd had a couple record deals and they, uh, you know, they're just the, the economy of it, um, is a good one and it's a great breeding ground for artists and, it's a great industry, but you know, as a becoming more of a producer and songwriter and creatively, you know, sometimes like genres like that, or, um, you know, any, any type of religious type of affiliation with music can sort of be limiting. And so I it just, it was slowly becoming less and less just like my worldview and encapsulating less of what I felt I wanted to, to be about as an artist and a singer. And so I said, you know what, after I think two or three different kind of record deals in that space, I was like, man, I really want to do more of a mainstream, sound with my music and just be about, you know, the concepts that inspire me and the questions that I want to ask or whatever, if I want to write a love song and just, just to write that and put it out. And so I was kind of trying to figure out what I would, how I would go about building a new brand or a new artist moniker. And obviously YouTube in 2012 had already been going really strong for, for some artists for several for several years at that point, it was still like a new way. It was definitely very much new media to be on YouTube, presenting yourself as an artist um, and using that platform to build a fan base. At the same time, if, if you were to come at it in 2012, it was definitely like a, a massive opportunity if you, if you saw it for what it really was, even though there were seemingly already some, you know, plenty of artists there, but it was just in time to kind of get on board and start building a fan base. And so what I did was, I started using a model that seemed to be working. There were um, artists on there breaking and having videos go, you know, ultra viral by covering popular songs, putting their own spin on it. Hopefully, you know, a lot of them bring in some quality production, you know, video and audio production to the, to, um, to the work and people were um, engaging with it. And so I started doing exactly that. And 2012 picked up, you know, started producing more of my own music. I was just a fledgling music producer. I mean, gosh, I look back on a lot of that and just like kind of cringe, but <laughs> <laughs> who, who doesn't, I guess, you know, about their, the earlier stuff that you work on. But, um, yeah, it was, it was just a great place to just crank out content. And it was like, the more I did, the more it grew. And I became, I became like addicted to it, to be honest with you. It was just such a fascinating point in my career. Like I just remember being so glued to a chair trying to work on the next whatever tunes were coming out and, you know, trying to, you know, build, um, 
you know, kind of a bridge for, for myself to get to the next part of my career, you know, and have a lane to go down. And so it started to work after a year or two. Um, it started to gain some pretty, pretty great traction at YouTube. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like um, with uh, with those types of sites, YouTube and SoundCloud, where they've opened it up for anyone to come and put their creative work on there. Yeah. Um, it seems like the people that are rewarded the most are those that, like you said, are sitting, getting addicted to it and cranking out content. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's probably, it's, it, it must be hard emotionally if you put a lot of effort into something and, you know, it gets 200 views and you're like, well, I can't, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. But, and the thing is, is like, it's, it's different now. You know, we used to be able to kind of, and I say we, I talk about kind of like, there was sort of this OG <laughs> gang of, you know, quote YouTubers and we all kind of, you know, maybe 10 or 15 of us that sort of knew each other. And some of them are much bigger in subscriber base than the others, but we all kind of ran the same sort of crowd. So we were watching what each other was doing. And it's interesting now how much different the economy there is now for viewership and how it shifted and changed um, where, you know, it's much smaller, you know, viewership numbers now, but they're much more, you know, engaged. So it's, it's a, it's a shifting and evolving platform even now, you know, if you flash way forward, but, um, and that, that goes to your point of like seeing way less views and thinking, you know, is this even getting through after having, I mean, I've probably done in collaborations at my channel over a hundred million views on YouTube. So, yeah. um, it's to do that number and then put something out and get a thousand on it. You're just like, your head's spinning, but you just have to kind of realize that like somewhere in all of the crazy analytics of that, like there's still like, you know, um, people finding your work that do really care about it. So you kind of have to like forget about some of the numbers of it. Otherwise you'll just quit, <laughs> you know, yeah. eventually. So yeah, that makes sense. yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. So you, you think it was kind of just constantly putting in the work and then finally the, the algorithm starts to, to respect you and, and give yeah. you some views and you know. yeah, I think so. And you, you know, it's about collaborating with people that are, that are ahead of you, you know, and trying to bring value um, to someone um that's maybe where you want to be or that, you know, you're inspired by some form of their artistry or, or business acumen or how it is they're going about it or, you know, building their fan base or whatever it is. Like, I think it's just important to reach out to people that are a few steps ahead of you and to kind of like try to offer something to learn from them or maybe to collaborate with them. And that's, that's the, you know, the, the, the tactic, if you will, that I use to build my, my following as well as just, you know, working on my original music was to try and collaborate with, you know, YouTubers that were, that were bigger than me. And so I did a bunch of that and I was a pretty good producer at the time. So if I just worked hard enough, I could make a song sound better than I really was at production. So I would just, it was, it was a lot more time, you know, invested than you were getting in the ROI, but some of the collabs started to lift my, you know, channel viewership and stuff. And so it kind of like propels you forward with each one and you kind of get yourself, you know, in the same playing field as some people that are doing some bigger things. So I use that method to build relationships and just work hard and, you know, try to get my foot in the door. It, it must be hard emotionally if you put a lot of effort into something and, you know, it gets 200 views and you're like, well, I can't, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. But, and the thing is, is like, it's, it's different now, you know, we used to be able to kind of, and I say, we, I talk about kind of like, there was sort of this OG <laughs> gang of, you know, quote YouTubers and we all kind of, you know, maybe 10 or 15 of us that sort of knew each other. And some of them are much bigger in subscriber base than the others, but we all kind of ran the same sort of crowd. So we were watching what each other was doing. And it's interesting mm -hmm. now how much different the economy there is now for viewership and how it shifted and changed um, where, you know, it's much smaller, you know, viewership numbers now, but they're much more, you know, engaged. So it's, it's a, it's a shifting and evolving platform even now, you know, mm -hmm. if you flash way forward, but, um, and that, that goes to your point of like seeing way less views and thinking, uh, you know, is this even getting through after having, I mean, I've probably done in collaborations at my channel over a hundred million views on YouTube. So, yeah. um, it's to do that number and then put something out and get a thousand on it. You're just like, your head's spinning, but you just have to kind of realize that like somewhere in all of the crazy analytics of that, like there's still like, you know, um, people finding your work that do really care about it. So you kind of have to like forget about some of the numbers of it. Otherwise you'll just quit. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. eventually. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, so you you think it was kind of just constantly putting in the work, and then finally the the algorithm starts to to respect you and and give yeah. you some views and you know. yeah, I think so. And you you know, it's about collaborating with people that are that are ahead of you, you know, and trying to bring value um, to someone. Um, that's maybe where you want to be or that, you know, you're inspired by some form of their artistry or, or business acumen or how it is they're going about it or, you know, building their fan base or whatever it is. Like, I think it's just important to reach out to people that are a few steps ahead of you and to kind of like try to offer something to learn from them or maybe to collaborate with them. And that's, that's the, you know, the, the, the tactic, if you will, that I use to build my, my following as well as just, you know, working on my original music was to try and collaborate with, you know, YouTubers that were, that were bigger than me. And so I did a bunch of that and I was a pretty good producer at the time. So if I just worked hard enough, I could make a song sound better than I really was at production. So I would just, it was, it was a lot more time, you know, invested than you were getting in the ROI, but some of the collabs started to lift my, you know, channel viewership and stuff. And so it kind of like propels you forward with each one and you kind of get yourself, you know, in the same playing field as some people that are doing some bigger things. So I use that method to build relationships and just work hard and, you know, try to get my foot in the door. Gotcha. Yeah. Was so I knew I wanted to make music in the same light, um, sonically as, as these types of artists. And so that's kind of what I shot for, you know, but I really didn't know what I was doing at the time as far as production was concerned, but I would put the time in and try and, you know, make some, art that that would put me in the same you know field so yeah so 2014 you've kind of built up your a following of people that are listening to you and um are, are bought in and um got your sound so you release kind of your first ep can you tell me about that yeah um the uh the anti-gravity ep yeah i wrote some stuff i was living in la at the time i moved from nashville kind of sold my house in east nashville my beloved home and then moved to uh to LA and, um, got working with some, you know, some new songwriter friends of mine and had been kind of had some songs that I've been working on for a while and finally just locked myself in my studio and said, I'm going to finish these songs and, and put them out. And so that's exactly what I did. And, um, put out the, the anti-gravity EP and, and it did pretty well. I think I think we charted, um, on the, the songwriter chart on iTunes and uh, you know, it's, it's been a steady climb ever since, you know, when you don't have a, a massive like marketing budget on something like that, even if you have the social media following, it's still just a, like a diligent slow and steady growth that you have with things like that. But they do continue to kind of like pay dividends and things over the years. And um, it's been something that like has stood up. I'm proud of those records even still. And um, yeah, so that was a fun, a fun project and kind of like the beginning of me really making um, original music or that I was really proud of under the run ground moniker. So that was cool. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. You moved to LA. Is that uh, like a tactical thing? Where you like, did you feel like you had to be there because you were in a new type of music? Or yeah, it was. Um, I was just working out there so much. I was doing a lot of collaborating with um, other YouTubers and things, and 
and I just fell in love with it, fell in love with the weather. And then, you know, you've got so many people out there, um, working together, making great art. And so it's just naturally, I think a place where people kind of congregate. And so that, yeah, at, at the time, my, uh, my wife at the time and I, we both just packed up and went out there and we were just like, yeah, Hollywood, let's go. We had a great time. I lived in California two different times, but, um, I was there for about three years during that stint and a lot of great things happened in my, in my career and during that time. So gotcha. just kind of, it, it was, it's almost similar to, to now in the streaming world. You're, you're like some, you know, things are kind of, we're working a certain way and then now, and then now it's like the bottom's kind of fallen out of it, but there's other opportunities. So it was just a lot of like trial and error with different things. I, I started to get more and more into making music for film and TV. And so I was doing a lot of custom productions uh, with a sync house out of LA and doing that. And then also wanting to be working on, you know, more original things. So it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to divide my time up and try to start getting some film or TV syncs or doing custom productions for that. And then I'm also um, really got my eyes set on getting a record at radio. And um, I thought, how am I going to do that? But I was really intrigued by the XM uh, satellite radio kind of, platform and I had, you know, bumped into some artists that were doing well there. And I, I said to myself, like, I want a number one, like on XM, you know? Um, and so I, I really set my sights on getting a radio record at XM radio to start doing well. And I, I don't know, I don't know how I was going to go about it, but I just knew that I was going to do that. And so slowly, but surely I, um, was working with that in mind to have a single there. And so I was doing research on labels and and the things that were working, um, in that space. So I kind of had two, two different lanes. And then also I sort of still wanted to be touring and playing live shows, but again, you know, that kind of just wasn't my path, um, underneath this sort of brand. So that was over there laying on the side as well. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like three lanes I had in my mind, but most, most importantly, it was like, I want to, I want a record at radio and that I really want to get into this film and TV world. So that's kind of where my mind was. And I was working hard at all those different things. Is that, is that how you kind of orient yourself? Um, would you say of, of, um, saying I'm going to go do this and then you just go do it. Is that, uh, is that yeah, I think so. Um, I really, am like a student of the business in the art of it as well. Like I really like to deconstruct how things are done. And, um, like for instance, you know, and, I love the platform that you guys have and I, I love to pay attention to what's happening on, you know, the royalty exchange, if you will, across the board. Like I just, I'm intrigued by certain types of things in this industry. And so I really will like to look at the nuts and bolts and, you know, how something works. How did this come about? How did it happen? And like, who are the players that are involved? And so I like to really um, kind of diagnose how to make something happen and then, I just kind of attack it. And I, you know, I find that like a fun challenge for myself trying to sort of, you know, make things happen that you want to see happen. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. it definitely takes a, takes that kind of spirit to, to make it in the music industry. Um, sure. I know a lot of the people we talk to are, they, they kind of have this like make or break moment where they, sure. um, you know, they could really at any point have just said, ah, I'm just going to get a day job. And like, this is, this is too much for me, but it sounds like you never really had this moment where it's like, ah, it's just like this, this is too much effort. It just, you, you kind of, it seems like you always knew that this is, this is how you're going to make uh, make your living and, and, um, build a career this way. Is that, would you say that's true? I think I did. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's important to just to, to see the areas of opportunity that you have and to kind of, you know, utilize them and, and leverage them the best you can, you know, with whatever, little market you might be in and you're part of the world or, or part of the country or, you know, your little lane musically, like if you can see the opportunities and use them as sort of stepping stones, then yeah, I think it's possible to like, to make a living and, and to continue to grow at it. It's definitely not been without its moments of free fall and total, just, you know, <laughs> you're scared to death, you know, cause it's just, it's not, it's not a stable industry. It's a, it's a marketplace, you know, you guys have created a marketplace out of it. So that means that the numbers go up and down and the way that we all live our lives is, you know, based on these numbers and kind of keeping them up and it's hard to do that. So you have to really diversify and you're working on tons of different things, wondering which one will, will kind of go big for you or pay the bills. So I think I just continue to, to hustle out of it. It wasn't without me, you know, 
work inside hustles and gosh, I've done every job in the, uh, that you could imagine. I mean, I've just done pretty much everything you can do <laughs> from sales to building, you know, toolboxes for Mack trucks to like, you know, door to door stuff, handyman stuff. I've kind of done, I've done a little bit of all of it. And I think, you know, that's just a part of the, the world of indie artists and stuff nowadays. Um, if, if we're honest with ourselves, but when things really start to pop, you know, after years and years of pressure and time and pressure, then, um, you know, suddenly you might be like looking at it, like a, a more consistent lifestyle, you know, but it can be hard to, to stabilize it. And so I think even now, like just now Spotify has become sort of a viable platform for independent artists to make a, a real living. Now you have to get to a place that is still very hard to get to, you know, not everyone is going to do that. Not many people are going to get to, that place of 10 million plus streams on singles. But if you can start getting there, then you can make a living, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's just shifting, but yeah, I think I always knew it would go after it, but it's not been without it's like serious challenges, you know? Do you, do you remember one of those serious challenges that you could describe? Gosh, gosh, there's so many, you know? Um, I think it's just, I don't know if I could point to one in particular that's coming to mind, but the thing that does come to, to mind is just that you kind of have to stay ahead of yourself. Um, even when things are going well, you kind of have to be putting another foot and, you know, putting a foot in front of the other continually. You can't really slow down to sort of, you know, smell the roses. I don't think in a, in a, in a marketplace like the music industry, cause it's just moving so quickly. And even now hits are consumed so much faster and disposed of, if you will, so much quicker mm -hmm. because of, you know, the streaming platforms is just a great thing. Um, but it just means that like, you know, songs just don't t tend to last as long, um, maybe on the kind of charts, if you, if you will. So I think there've just been so many, they all run together and I just kind of try to stay in motion and keep things, keep plates spinning, you know? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, the streaming, it's definitely a, a make or break. If you get playlisted on, on a playlist with 10 million followers, then yeah. you're living large. But as soon as you yeah. get on that playlist, you can also get, get taken off. Um, yep. Absolutely. So that's interesting. Yeah, man. Tell, tell me about the time that you, uh, you perform with the Dalai Lama, which seems like it's not something that, uh, a whole lot of artists in the world can kind of claim they've done. Yeah. That was, um, just like such a gift from the universe. Really, I mean, I was, I had just done a TV show production um, for a show that aired on Access TV called Breaking Band. And um, I got to work with Moby on that show. And then we like performed live at the end of it. It was kind of a mentor type show. Um, they only did one season of that. It, it didn't get renewed, but it was a really wonderful experience. And the guys that produced that show um, were connected to um, this event that was taking place. Um, that was um, the 80th birthday celebration of the Dalai Lama. And it was kind of like his world compassion summit is what they, what the event was called. And they were having this event in Anaheim um, at the Honda center. And so they were pulling all this stuff together and this, they were kind of like loosely connected with it, um, the production of it as well. And I think just like my name sort of came up in conversation uh, when they were sort of trying to put um, encapsulate the, the event in his birthday. And they needed like a piece of music. They needed an original song um, for it. And they wanted to do like a celebrity music video tribute to him. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I remember getting a call after we filmed the TV show and they said there was like this group of people on the phone and they were working, um, with, with the Dalai Lama to pull this event together. And they said, Hey, you know, we thought about you, would you be willing to, you know, write and produce a song, um, for this event, for this music video and then maybe perform it live for, you know, his holiness. And I was like, okay, holy cow. You know, I said, well, yeah, I'm definitely up for that. That's a massive, just an, you know, you can't even, um, dream about someone asking me to do that. No one is deserving of something like that. It's just like this crazy luck and gift from the universe thing. And so I was like, yeah, how long do I have to do it? I think I had a week, a week, maybe 10 days to write and produce something. So I just locked myself in the studio and, um, originally I sampled the Dalai Lama's voice, um, on the original recording, which was super cool. Um, they sent me some, like, um, some private messages that he had shared with this group that was putting this event together. And so I was able to sample his voice and put it in, put it into this track and built this tune, um, in a few days called we are one, which was his message. And, um, which kind of felt like a, it could be sound like a recycled message, but I really didn't feel 
feel like it was coming, coming from him most certainly. And, and, and looking at the, the nature of the event. And so I produced the song and then there was this sort of children's choir that, that wanted to be a part of it. It just kind of fell together. And then about 10 days later, they were shooting this music video and there were several, you know, celebrities that had been touched by the Dalai Lama that wanted to be in that and offer a tribute to him and wish him a happy birthday. So this whole big project just came together. And then I think it was like, I don't know, a month later that the event was happening. And then I was up on the stage performing that, that song. He was there and there was a full arena of his um, followers there. And it was just cool wonderful gift of an experience it was it was one of the the neatest things ever you know Man. so it was amazing that's awesome yeah it sounds like quite the experience yeah um, it really was so i guess recently you signed with uh, a record label and um are kind of starting to produce stuff under that so like what uh, what motivated that decision to to sign with them as opposed to kind of just being fully independent on your own yeah well um i and going back to earlier kind of wanted to have a single at radio. It's still a medium where um, I think that that matters big time um, in the music business, even though, you know, people argue that radio is going away. It really still is like the King radio. And so I knew I wanted to have music at radio and try to compete, if you will, in that space. And so um, I've been following some artists and, and really looking at, uh, believe it or not, people like Justin Bieber that were backing into these dance records mm-hmm. um, as as pop artists and sort of leveraging a pop song, but with a dance production and maybe attacking radio from the the outskirts and then having a crossover hit. And I said, that's what I want to do. And um, there was a song that I had written with a friend named Tyson. Um, in LA and it got shelved and his manager didn't want to, didn't like the song and didn't want it to get put out. And so it just got like, it got like kind of locked up um, actually. And we knew it was good. And like on SoundCloud, it had like, I don't know, I think it was like half a million, maybe a million plays or something. And it like sat there for about 24 months, maybe yeah, about two years, I think. And then um, this record label approached me, about the song and wanting to go to radio with it. And, um, I'd kind of been in contact with them cause I think they were looking at artists that were breaking, you know, on social media and YouTube and things like that. So they were familiar with my work and they felt like they could have success with this dance record at radio and that maybe it was a crossover mm-hmm. tune. So they picked it up. They kind of, I mean, I'm skipping over a lot of details cause it was actually a fight to get the song, like the rights to do it. Um, cause there were people that kind of didn't want to come out, which is just not, like, once again, a crazy story. Um, but here was this song, nobody believed in it. And people were saying was, there was, yeah, I've got emails where people were like, this is just not, you know, good enough. Basically like there's several of those emails floating around still. And, um, they picked it up and said, we believe in this. And then they put their radio team on it, signed me to a deal. And then gosh, it was a year, a year later or something, maybe a year and a half that it was number one. Um, U.S. radio in America on on the rolling charts, and so I mean we jumped over the chain smokers and Halsey and everything that week, and so yeah, we got ourselves a, a number one out of a song that it, you know was just kind of laying in wait, and it was a wild. That was another wild kind of ride, but yeah, definitely it was something I wanted to do, and and was happy that it kind of materialized. There was a one guy um, involved in that project Frank Murray who just believed in that record in me and he really is the key to that happening probably that's probably the biggest thing that's happened to my career you know since I've been going was to have that number one uh radio single and uh Frank was definitely like the heartbeat of that happening so I'm forever grateful to him for that that's awesome yeah. so but yeah beside uh just you know trying to convince the right people that it's the the right song what what were some of the other challenges that you were talking about where people you had to sort out some right, right disputes or, uh, yeah, well, there was literally, um, kind of a team on the other side that I think almost just, I think it became like sometimes, um, Hey, the music industry is a gangster place. You got to know that, right? Like it's like, you see these movies that come out and stuff, all this stuff is real stuff and there's egos involved. And I know you guys know this, you guys are dealing with massive deals over there and 
working out rights all the time. So I'm sure you guys have crazy stories if the walls could talk mm-hmm. in there. But, um, you know, it's like even down to the like, you know, the lower parts of the industry, people just have egos attached to things. And it's like, if they say something, they want it to be right. Or some, you know, a, a publishing team passed up on a song. They don't want you taking it out to radio because it just makes them look bad, mm. you know? And that was kind of a scenario without naming names was well, that it happened. Um, some people on the other side of this tune, I'll say, were just determined that this, that there was nothing to this song and wanted to stop it from coming out. And what they really ended up doing was edging themselves out of it. So <laughs> what happened is it became the biggest song that anyone in that group would have ever been a part of. But half of that group kind of like walked away from it, basically, um, which really bit them, which, <laughs> you know, I don't know, I guess it just the way life goes. But yeah, it was, it was, I remember being real stressed out about that because that can happen. You know, sometimes it's not as simple as just like, we want to put this out. People have to kind of like give their permission if you've worked with, with other, you know, labels or publishers or whatever. And so sometimes people try to get in there and like not let you do it, but we got lucky that it, it got worked out. It took a while to do it, but, um, and then it did exactly what, the radio guy said it was going to do, yeah. you know, it almost crossed over and became a real like mega hit, but it kind of happened in a silo. It became an XM radio, a pretty big tune. And then, um, you know, we got real close to having like a worldwide, you know, smasher, but, um, we'll take it. It was still a crazy ride on that one. Yeah. Next time you can have the worldwide smasher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, there's certainly, there's so many moving parts and getting, it's not, it's not just, creating the good song it's about getting everything else moving around it that uh yeah that's uh, so important in the music industry which is which is strange but it's just um kind of a matter of fact um, way of approaching it um yeah i guess that kind of takes us up to the present where uh you know you have this this uh, radio hit that's gone uh, what's what's going on in the future for you i've just put out a record um with the dj borges uh we have a collaboration called better anyway um, we put that out about, I don't know, a month and a half ago, and it just hit, it's about to hit a half a million plays on Spotify. Uh, so we're really proud. It's going strong. Uh, that came out on, our, on Armada. And um, I've got, you know, I still, my fans love, I, I kind of have a lot of genres that I play around with, and I love being able to do that. And so I still am putting out kind of like um, what I would call uh, my YouTube lane of, of content. I'm still putting out covers, and but I'm really gearing a lot of it towards the film and TV realm. Um, when I think about it as a production. And so I'm still putting those out, still working on new original like dance records and collaborations. And um, I'm also kind of doing my, my pop rock stuff um, as well. That's still in the, you know, um, in the studio. So yeah, kind of still have all my lanes going and pushing forward. But um, what I'm really excited about right now is, is getting into more and more film, film and TV. Um, it's just a, an interesting new kind of a challenge and um it's just neat to see music company film and and uh so i love doing custom productions for things and then also trying to find homes for you know productions that are already in existence you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. pretty fun yeah so that's kind of like what i'm what i'm working on uh these days really trying to to build that side of my career up and maybe get into more of the scoring and um, just more and more into film and TV um, as a music producer and artist. So, so that might be your second yeah. second shift in your career. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, um, it's just so. And you hit the nail on the head earlier. If you don't want to be kind of signed up into a record deal and the, the timelines of everything that you're working on, I mean, we worked on Chase You Down for two years, and like I, could, I was really limited as far as what I was able to even put out during that time. And so it's a trade off for a lot of your freedom creatively to work, you know, within the label realm and having like a team of, you know, five or 10 people at an indie label that you're working with. So it's kind of a, it's a restricting type of a thing. And while you're gaining ground in the mainstream realm, you're kind of like limited creatively. So I, I feel like it's nice to have a break from that at this point and work on projects and kind of just be at my own creative freedom and to see what, what can happen. And, you know, there's always chances to kind of like pitch songs to labels, but I just think, I think that that's shifting more and more to where, you know, people are having kind of breakaway songs without needing to sign their life away in some of these deals, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes sense. 
I guess uh, we'll change gears really quick. Uh, the uh, the title of the show is The Big Break. So it, you, I mean, listening to your story, I'm, I'm not sure if there's like a real moment. I mean, we talked to some people and it's like, I sent my song to a thousand different people and eventually like Jay-Z got back to me and picked me up, picked up the song. It's like, that's uh, crazy. That is, that's like the define, that is the break that I needed. Yeah. Um, would you say that there has been a, like a break in your career? You talked about the the number one hit, but um, that was, you know, you're pretty deep into your, your uh, music life at that point. Would you say there's yeah. a point uh, before that or at any other time that's, um, that's been like i think i'm the collection of like a lot of little breaks you uh-huh. know what i mean and they're they're massive breaks you know in reality for to you know but i think they kind of all you know keep me pointed in the direction of like going forward i mean having having a song make that kind of impression on radio was was massive for me you know mm-hmm. it didn't make me a household name or anything like that and that's that's amazing and that that doesn't matter but it's just everything has a different kind of like measure of impact and for me that was that was massive being on that television show and getting to work with Moby and, and kind of becoming friends with him a little bit through that process. Like those are the things that sort of like brought me to a place where I realized that like, okay, like I've arrived at a new um, place in my career and I, I realized what maybe I'm capable of doing now. And it definitely, it definitely likes kind of put me at a place of freedom in my mind creatively and like empowerment to, to say that like, man, I can do a little, I can almost do sort of whatever it is I set my mind to, you know, within reason, I feel like. And so it definitely, those moments were definitely, you know, that happened all in a, you know, within the same year or two Mm -hmm. that kind of set me on the map. So I would say yes and no, you know, like that's kind of a bad answer. I definitely don't have the Jay-Z email story, but um, I feel like I've, you know, I've, I've had a lot of luck and then a lot of time and pressure at the same time. That's kind of helped me to keep having breaks. I just keep believing in, you know, sort of that your best work is around the corner. And I, I think that that keeps me kind of engaged and, and, uh, you know, yeah, looking for the next one. Right. And, and you mentioned luck a couple of times, uh, when you've been talking and, um, I don't think anyone in the music industry truly is, you know, makes a career based off luck. A lot of it's, um, you know, luck that you've created yourself, um, through hard work, but, um, like if that, if that was completely out of the equation, do you think you would still, um, you know, been successful if, if, if there had not been, um, you were there at the right place at the right time, um, for like the, for instance, the Dalai Lama, um, celebration, um, right. you know, do you think, do you think you'd still have been able to have forged on? I, um, I don't know. I think that that's my personality is to definitely to keep, you know, plugging away at something. And I think I kind of, am, I'm a believer that you create, your own luck, you know? So I don't know. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. I think, yeah, I sort of think, I think you, you, you kind of make yourself lucky by just working extremely hard and consistently, Definitely. you know what I mean? And continue to believe that it's possible that you'll get an opportunity. So, um, had these things not happened the way that they happened, I think other things might've happened, you know, different things, but, uh, yeah, I think I think it's possible that you create your own luck by just showing up. Eventually, you show up. You're in the right place at the right time, like you're saying. Right. And then you do you do get quote lucky, right? But really, it comes down to just keeping your head in the game long enough. I think everybody does get a shot at at doing things on a on a on a bigger scale if you keep pounding the pavement. You know. Yeah, definitely. So. Well, that's great. I think it's um. I think it's been, uh, it's super interesting to talk to you and hear your story. And, um, you know, it's, uh, not, not everyone has that, that story of going from, uh, basically graduating high school to, uh, to touring the country. Um, that was fascinating. And then, um, the career shifts are awesome. So I think it'll be definitely, uh, super interesting to see what's, uh, what happens in the future with your career. Thanks, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. I, I, uh, you know, um, love what you guys are doing at, at royalty exchange. And, uh, I love the platform. I think, I think it's neat that you've made it into kind of a marketplace and you're, you know, you're empowering artists and producers and everybody involved in music with, with rights to, to access resources and, and to keep, you know, investing into their career. So I, I love, I love what you guys are doing and, and, uh, I've loved getting to work with you guys. So I'm just like a student of everything you guys are doing. And I pay, I pay close attention to the site and stuff and, what you guys are working on. So I'm like excited to see how that continues to grow for you guys too. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to hear. And, um, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, 
yeah, glad we could just create another option for for artists out there to um, you know just have that uh, a little bit more flexibility. Um, yeah, in an industry that that is kind of known to not be so flexible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's been great to talk to you, and uh, I'm glad you could come on and kind of share your story with us. Cool, man. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to Andrew's story on this episode. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new one, which you can get automatically downloaded to your podcast feed by subscribing to this podcast. And do us a big favor by sharing this with any of your friends that you think might be interested in hearing stories like this from songwriters and musicians. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.